0: Hey, dear. I'm so glad to be with you. Uh, What'll you have to drink?
1: I've been craving juice so much, so I really want juice right now.
0: Let's do it. Where is the love? I'm Michael Ware.
1: I'm Melissa Ware.
0: It is, uh, it's it's good to be with you, Melissa, and it's good to be with uh, our listeners. It's been so great getting the reaction to the rollout of the podcast. We're now on iTunes, Spotify,
1: Stitcher, and Pocket Casts.
0: I don't know what two of those things are, but... No
1: idea, but that's what Substack (laughs) told me to do. Um, I follow the rules.
0: But I'm glad we're there. Um... And whatever, uh, however you're listening to us, uh, we're we're glad we're glad you're listening. I will say I do have a soft spot for our listeners that come through our Substack because they feel like lifers, like they feel like they feel they stuck with us. Yeah, they've stuck with us through some real,
1: a lot of typos, (laughs) questionable Uh, opinions. Yes, yes,
0: yes. Our
1: obsession with Italy.
0: Yes. Uh, which we may get, get to into a bit. today a little bit. Yep. Um, okay. So you're having uh, uh, water with apple juice. That's exciting. Um, I'm having sherry cream, cream sherry, whatever it is. I don't like it. It's Don't terrible. know why I tried it.
1: Who um, you, who who likes sherry? If you do, I'm, I'm questioning Fraser
0: and you. Niles. Like no, like no. Sherry. Are any, like, do
1: any of our listeners like sherry? Because if they oh. are, I'm questioning them.
0: It's it's possible Frazier is listening, or or did Did is Kelsey Grammer live? I don't know. I think not. I think David Hyde Pierce is live. Yeah, or is it David Uh, Hyde Price? No, 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 it's Pierce. Yeah, David Price was a congressman. (laughs) Uh, Okay, Frazier, Niles, any of our listeners, make a case for Sherry.
1: It tastes like watered down nothing. I don't understand. Maybe it's my COVID talking, because I can't. It could be. <laughs> it, this I could
0: smell. have, dear listener, this could have something to do with the fact that Melissa uh, on Sunday night at about 11 p.m. was like, I, I can't smell. I Michael, I can't smell. Michael, I can't <laughs> smell anything. He's
1: <laughs> making fun of me. Um, My mind went to whatever the highest DEF CON is. It went into Mayday mode. It was one of the most disconcerting feelings I've had in a very long time. My mind basically said, "Oh, you can't sense anything because you can't smell or taste. You can't sense anything."
0: It was. I'm joking. I'm joking now. It, it was like um, I know it was. It was. Um, it was not, not good. Disconcerting. Well, uh, Melissa, we. I'm, I'm excited about the conversation we have today. What have you? Uh, teed up for us that's a part of the top five for the week.
1: Yeah, so like we explained last time, we've decided to turn this podcast a bit into going over something we found interesting for the week for the top five. And so for this week, just by happenstance, what's come out in the media, I found three really great articles that are essentially, I would say, like the overarching theme is they're on the future of food, which is really interesting because a couple podcast episodes ago, we talked about that Washington Post article talking about the upcoming trends or the upcoming things that will define the year of 2022. And restaurants and delivery were listed. The changing nature of the restaurant was one of the 13 things that were in that article. We discussed it a little bit. um, And I waxed sort of philosophical about diners. Um, so these three <laughs> articles are really great. Um, one's in Time, one's in Popular Science, other one's in Eater about the future of food. And I really want to start, I want to ground ourselves in something that will be very easy for us to talk about, and that's Massimo um, so. he <laughs> So Massimo Bottura has basically a profile in Time right now that just came out a week ago. The title is Masma Batura, Wants You to Stop Wasting Your Food, and it's by Aaron Baker, who is um Times Senior International Climate and Environment Correspondent. Masma who is he? If you've followed Michael or I at all, we have reposted this man a lot. We've talked about him a lot. We've eaten his food. We just love him a lot. He's this really, really brilliant italian chef he was featured on netflix's chef's table and that's how michael and i first discovered him he was the very first episode for his restaurant osteria francescana which is located in modena italy he's from modena um he founded this restaurant what in the
0: i think 95 i think
1: 90 1995 yep. is somewhere in the mid 90s and he has three michelin stars now he was rewarded his third michelin star in 2012. He's been number one on the top 50 restaurants of the world twice now, and he's... He, yeah, I
0: mean, he's... Yeah, I, yes. I think maybe because he took number two, like several... Yes. Yeah, yeah he's the mainstay on the top So 50. he
1: is wildly successful, a very, very good chef, innovative beyond belief. He takes Italian food just to another level. And so this article is about... Um, what I think a lot of people would say is one of his side projects, but with the way that he talks about a lot, it seems like his main motivator now. It seems like Austria Francescana is a way for him to get you know, his creative outlet. But his work on food waste seems to be his main motivator now, and it's just beyond ex- inspiring. So... Food waste. What he's been building in, I think, twelve cities now, uh, in different parts of the world. Most of them in Italy, of course, are refettorios, which I'm not saying that with the correct Italian accent, but I don't speak Italian. Which are basic, which a lot of Americans would call a soup kitchen, but he does not call them soup kitchens. Um, He describes them as something more. And I want to read just a few paragraphs from the article so that I can talk about this a bit better and give a better sort of foundation. Italy's most celebrated chef says the pinnacle of his achievements is Milan's Refettorio Ambrosiano and the 12 global spin-offs that have followed in its wake. At Refettorio Ambrosiano, dinner guests are greeted by name. They dine on fine china at tables created by the country's most sought-after furniture designers under works of art that would not be out of place in a contemporary art museum. The waiters are courteous and the chefs have trained under the finest restaurateurs in the world. The set menu changes daily depending on what comes in with the morning's delivery. This morning's delivery contains wilting arugula, chicken close to its sell-by date, too ugly to ugly-to-be-sold oranges, and only enough shrimp for half the anticipated guests. But by dinner, the supermarket cast-offs have been transformed into a three-course feast, the shrimp sauteed with arugula for a pasta starter, and the roast chicken slathered in a fragrant orange glaze. Dessert is a rich mousse made with from donated chocolate and almost past its prime cream. The one hundred or so diners, runaways, refugees, the homeless, and the unemployed tuck in with, with obvious pleasure, laughing with the volunteer waiters, praising the volunteer chefs, and forgetting, at least for an hour, the challenges of a life lived on the streets in Milan. Isn't that amazing?
0: No, it's it it's, honestly it's makes very me inspiring. almost cry. Yeah. No, it's, um, so I think another piece to add to the puzzle here, right, is, um, and this is something that will be accessible for people, um, uh, to support this project, uh, Massimo released a book called Bread is Gold. It's wonderful. And Bread is Gold is, is basically a collection of recipes uh, that he's created. And then he brought in famous chefs from around the world to create recipes based on the ingredients that they had come in that day at the refettorio And he released uh, a cookbook based on these ingredients that people typically wouldn't think of, of using or might think of discarding parts of animals that you might not use, uh, uh, ingredients that you might think uh, weren't usable, like banana peel, for instance. Uh, and so... That kind of thinking, that, and it's so deeply Italian. This aversion to waste, yes. of to food waste, is inspiring. I also am deeply moved as a Christian. Yes. I um, mean, I think food waste is a Christian issue, but I'm deeply moved as a Christian. In the way in which Massimo's vision for these refertorios recognize and affirm the dignity of the diner, of the people he's serving, um those whose dignity so often goes unrecognized or trampled upon. And he he recognizing he recognizes the fact that that food can be dignifying, or rather, food can uh, sort of be prepared and served in a way that recognizes the dignity of the person who's eating it. And so they they provide real silverware. Yes, they, d- they always eat serve multiple. The, they right, but, but so like right, so I I think I'm not sure that that's the essential. I mean, I think the point is they eat on real plates. Yes. Like not that. I mean, Massimo because he's Massimo has access to people are eager for him to use their their china whenever they can. But I think the the real point is like it's it's real plates, it's real silverware, it's um, it's courses, it's multiple courses um, uh, that's that are served to them. Um, uh, They're served to the to the folks who are. Who are eating. And that's just profoundly moving to me. I, I, um, uh, I'm not uh, a Jake uh, meter already tweeted this out, so I, I don't think I'm releasing anything here, but um, I have an article in the upcoming uh, print edition. I think it's the second or maybe the third print issue of Mere Orthodoxy, which has long been a really wonderful... Digital content provider, but recently started producing a print magazine. I think this is their only their second issue. Um, I write a bit about about this connection between food mm-hmm. and dignity and identity. It' yeah. um, probably the most personal thing I've written in a couple of years. So oh, just yeah. a just a heads up for. I've
1: read it, so I can affirm that.
0: Um, yeah. So just a heads up for for folks to. Um, I'm not sure if you'll be able to access this article um, uh, without a subscription online. Um, so I would encourage you to subscribe to the magazine. I'm really proud of it and excited for it to get out. But I just wanted to mention that because it's so so tied to uh, really Massimo's work. But yeah, it's, it, Melissa, yeah. it's just so – it's, I mean, it's, it's really thing, inspiring.
1: The thing that I would just add is that <clears throat> I say Fine China because – a lot of times with stuff like this, I'm really interested in like the sort of physicality and the aesthetics of things and also how that affirms dignity, like with the china, with, with all that kind of stuff. But also just the physical location yes. is so important. The fact that there's art on the walls and art from good artists, from a lot of known artists, things like that, so that people can place a bit of prestige on it and things like that. Um, <clears throat> I'm interested in those types of things because... Uh, it, My past, my last job that I had, I I worked with a lot of artists, a lot of art makers um, located in the UK. And there's this movement in the UK called placemaking, and it's about using art to uh, transform the way people see their lived environment and sort of what that does for communities and what that does for people's psyches, what it does for the way people relate to one another, social cohesion. Like, I mean, there've been studies on it and what it does. And basically, an artist will come into, a neighborhood that may be a little bit more dilapidated or rundown and we'll put in an arts installation sometimes it's permanent sometimes it's temporary and it helps people to reimagine what that space could be like um i'm a big proponent of architecture and things like that so like th- those types of details that massimo's added in not just the food waste element, which is huge, because the article mentions how we have 8 billion people living on Earth. We produce enough food for 12 billion people, but 280 million people do not have enough food. Um, The amount of food waste we have is, uh, if we were able to sort of get a hold of it or sort of try to solve the problem, we would do more than what electric cars would do for replacing gas-guzzling cars. I mean, that to me, that type of stat, when you think about how many cars are on the road and how much sort of exhaust they're putting out in the world, and it's food waste that would be an even better solution than electric cars. You mean just, for,
0: uh, for, in what way? Better solution for?
1: In terms of the amount of um, pollution, sort of okay. environmental degradation that, that yeah. happens when both things are going on. Sure. Sure. If you were to choose an electric car, or to try to solve food waste, solve food waste first. Yeah, yeah. If you if you were to for a competition, I guess. Um, you know those things are deeply important, and like the Italianness that is going on in terms of (laughs) just taking any kind of bits of food, whether it's near its rotting point or it's like the sort of rind on a you know a a piece of Parmigiano Reggiano, and saying we can make food from nothing because you know just the love of making food and using it as a sort of way of loving people. That's just such an Italian thing. And you've taught me that because before knowing you, food used to be just a sort of sustenance thing. Uh, I used to eat like a bird. It was just for sustenance. And you've sort of taught me the beauty of food. And it's kind of, it's just all around. It's just inspiring. We love it. And so that brings us to the the other couple of articles that we were featuring in top five. Um the one in popular science is uh, called Welcome to in- Invasivorism, The Boldest Solution to Ethical Eating Yet by Matt um, Hungold's Hetling. Uh, probably mispronouncing that. They came out um, uh, last month, but I caught it and I read it, and it's, it's just so interesting. It's basically – the gist of it is chefs are figuring out ways to use invasive species in cuisine – Because one of the ideas besides, you know, sort of using the bad orange or the ugly orange, there's this other idea, why don't we eat more invasive species? And that's not just bugs or animals, it's um, vegetables and fruits as well. Um, One of the very first foods that they talk about in here is a sort of, oh, I can't find it right now that quickly, but... um, uh sprigs of garlic mustard apparently garlic mustard is super invasive and destroys a lot of things around it but it's extremely tasty and so there's this one chef who's using it in a lot of his cuisine because um it's accessible and it's helping sort of solve a huge patch of garlic mustard somewhere in his community um so that's that's another really interesting idea it's a very cool article um And then the second, uh, the third, sorry, the third article is in Eater, and it's Is the Future of Food the Future We Want by Jaya Saxena. And it's about her trip to Las Vegas for the Food on Demand conference and how the food industry is trying to up its game on the delivery side of things and trying to create virtual restaurants whereby celebrity chefs or just famous chefs, people with a lot of money and access, are renting out, spaces cheap spaces basically anywhere hiring a few chefs giving them a blueprint of how to cook their food and then those chefs are producing that food and you know um, making it available for delivery so places like momofuku can be available in places that you would never think in the united states because momofuku has bought a small space and is now doing delivery in that you know community and so it's these virtual restaurants where you can try all this new food but you don't actually have to go to the physical space of the restaurant Um, and then, uh, food delivery is trying to become a bit faster by air, by using drones and things like that. So in some places in LA, they're testing out, getting you groceries or food in five minutes or less so that you never have to wait. And also there's this sort of idea behind you never have to travel for your food. What would that be like? So those are the next two things teed up. Any thoughts, Michael?
0: Well, First on the invasive species thing, I think that's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's you know,
0: pretty cool. I you know, I do think part of the right part of the challenge and part of the value is um, when you're using ingredients in cooking that people are less familiar with, it takes a greater level of care, yeah. technicality. Yes and familiarity of of the chef with the ingredient itself. Um, Now, part of what happens though, is when uh, chefs at a high level, um, they're able to develop signature dishes or ways of preparing that can then sort of trickle down and sort of democratize. And that's like a super powerful yeah. idea. I mean, just to refer to Massimo again, I mean, there's the famous sort of, uh, there was an earthquake, uh, a significant percentage of Italy's Parmesan supply was put in danger. <laughs> and so it's terrifying. And so Massimo created a recipe using a wheel of Parmesan cheese. Right, and, I and remember this. Yes. chefs around the country made it. He basically saved... The Parmesan industry, which in certain parts of the country saves like the economic Uh vitality of like an entire community. Yeah,
1: because it's built on that cheese
0: factory. It's built on cheese. And and so you could, uh, there are all kinds of exciting possibilities. And I'm really invigorated by this wave of chefs and restaurateurs that are Trying to think about how the their work can be an ethical contribution, yes. I, I'm troubled. Which is kind of the point, kind of the framing. I mean, the the framing of the third of the of the third article that you mentioned, the Eater article. I mean, it is a fairly critical. She's she's not teeing up these things as as no. uh, as like positive no, the, developments. The article it's a has very been like to it. dystopian. Yes sort of sense and so it kind of made me want to dig more into the actual and a more uh, uh, a more fulsome sort of exploration of what are viewed as the the pros and cons of these kinds of developments. I would love to have
1: sat in this conference and to hear about why it's a good thing that food right. will be delivered by air or why it's a good thing that there will be virtual r- restaurants, which I can already think of one. You know, sure. you give people access to good food uh, that in cities and towns that otherwise might never attract the physical space and the money that is needed for that physical space.
0: Right. I mean, and so that that piece, the like famous chefs, like renting out space, giving, I mean, that is just like directly derivative of uh, – you know, like Uno's pizza franchising or yeah. That's, or the yes. or the like um or the the chef that turns his food into a frozen Yeah, food this is line. like franchising
1: three Yes, uh, yeah. A
0: hundred percent. And so in some ways like it's nothing new. It you know, but there there's been um a lot of writing and analysis and sort of um I, I think there are things. Uh, there, there's something to be said for just our economy's uh, capacity to commoditize everything in uh-huh. a way oh, that, yeah. in a way that um, can can you know poison or weaken the 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 um the original yeah, you know and and what does that do to yeah um you know i, I think i think it's a mixed bag right you're democratizing something yep. that's highly desired uh but through the democratization you're actually offering not the thing itself but like an imitation uh, thereof yes. And
1: I worry about things like – I mean, because one of the brilliance of Italian food is be- is that regions create certain cuisines that are based on ingredients that can be grown in that region. Um, you absolutely will find Italian restaurants in the north creating dishes from the south, et cetera, et cetera, because things can be transported, so on and so forth. But generally, you find a concentration where the food is actually grown – because that's where it's grown best. That's where the soil is best. That's where the sort of techniques have been honed for generations. I worry about things like, you know, if you do place a restaurant in the middle of wherever and some small town where maybe they'll have the access to the correct, but like bringing in the ingredients and the freshness and like the ability to recreate it. And then actually what kind of uh, environmental waste does that create when you're constantly having to transport stuff you know what i mean like um even just across the united states let alone from another country you know yeah um i I think about things like that i think about like the main uh, a main street in some small town in south dakota the restaurants that are already there and i think about the virtual restaurants popping up. yes that's the taking over the buzz people getting the burger at that virtual restaurant versus getting the burger at the pub that's been there for 50 years i worry about things like that all the time I know a lot of people have attitudes like, well, that pub better, you know, make sure its food is top notch or get with the times, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh... No,
0: it's destructive, it's to, destructive local to local cultures. It's destructive to local culture. And obviously, like, so much and it, of this, honestly,
1: yeah. the, the sort of gentrification implications of this yes, restaurant sir. stuff is just so huge to me. Yeah. So, like, the fact that um, uh, the writer did take this in a more, like, sort of like, ooh, I don't know if this sounds too good root. No, it's worth the way it's it's worth the direction I take it in. Yeah,
0: Yeah. no, no, I I think that's I think that's so right. That that danger of and right, like so much of this is right. uh, Similar arguments have been made and I think are, are 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 valid, though. There's certainly other sides of of just national franchise restaurants. Right. Like this is similar to the argument that was made about like. Olive Garden, like displacing mm-hmm. local yeah. Italian restaurants, or the, or the um, Don Pablo, you know, like Isn't so. It's
1: so funny. I I wish I could do a whole episode where I sit back and I think about this because I see it all the time. I'm constantly seeing millennials and Gen Z just recreating the sort of same sort of cultural effects that generations have before them. Like we're we're just recreating chain restaurants with this. The chain restaurants <laughs> that millennials and Gen Z don't eat at and say are you know old hat boring or that's where all the boomers go just to be very colloquial. Um are we just recreating that and right. a different image? Like yes. it feels like we're constantly And our making,
0: kids will be like, I uh, can't believe I can't believe that they were so excited about going going to a Gordon Ramsay yes. virtual pop up that was staffed and by going by to by it people. they stayed
1: in their house and yeah. ordered it yeah, online. That's right. yeah, and yeah. a drone delivered it to them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Well, so that's the that's the other interesting piece, and we should we should wrap this up. But right, um, so many of these experiences of going to a restaurant, where, I mean, so right, we just have to say, right, it's a highly. So so the part that I like, the the part that sort of pulls me is the fact that. Um, For reasons of geography and uh, income uh, and all kinds of reasons, such a small, 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 small percentage of people uh, can eat at Thomas Keller's restaurant, can yeah. eat at the French Laundry. Uh, 100%. And so they're, yeah. what a beautiful... Thing in some ways to make an expression of Thomas Keller's cooking available to people who would otherwise not be able to, and so I just like that's an obvious thing. I think there's value there. I don't think that this whole idea is completely sort of uh, negative. I will say though, like the the experience of going to a restaurant at all, and then the experience of going to is. For so many of them, it's such a highly communal experience.
1: Yes. Yeah, we were saying not yes.
0: just yeah. of who you're going with, but the interaction with with the staff, with the chef themselves, the the, um, and so to sort of um, disembody uh, 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 that experience mm-hmm. and, and sort of. Um, Oh, you could be wearing sweatpants and mm-hmm. a, you could be alone. You know, we talk about mm-hmm. like an epidemic of loneliness. Oh, yeah. And so much of it is exactly because we followed an economic logic to its end. Yes. In a place where we see all the economic benefit, um, but it actually like makes people lonely and sad because that's what the end of a solely economic logic looks like 100
1: yeah. percent. this is why i brought up the physicality of things being deeply important to the human experience um the article does this the eater article does say um a quote from somebody saying um or you know why should you have to travel to get your food and i sit back and question what would it look like if you didn't have to travel for food and if you're working from home and not traveling for work what are you going outside of your home for not just from a loneliness perspective but from the sort of communal perspective from the sort of connecting with anything Right. If you're not traveling for a a lot of different things, and I'm not calling for everybody driving around for, you know, three hours a day or anything like that, and therefore, you know, uh, wasting all that gas and putting that under the environment. But uh, never having to travel for food, coupled Mm. with a lot of the other things that are sort of happening as a uh, trend, um, that makes me bristle it makes me a bit wary.
0: Yeah. So I think just a key question that emerges from me out of all of this is, you know, what is being democratized? Mm -hmm. What is being replicated? Exactly what is being made available? And that's why Massimo's Refratorios, I think, answer those questions beautifully. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Massimo is democratizing dignity like Mm -hmm. what a beautiful beautiful thing so i'm so glad that you found these articles i'm excited for folks to read them in the top five and excited to hear their their thoughts um uh listeners probably know this by now but we're we're getting new listeners every episode um uh, especially now that we're on uh, itunes and spotify and
1: stitcher stitcher and stitcher and
0: pocket cast uh uh, folks are finding us outside of uh, uh, Substack and even outside of social media. And so, uh, if you want to get the top five, uh, you want to subscribe at ReclaimingHope.substack.com. Uh, it's you can sign up for free. We do encourage you to consider becoming a paying subscriber. Five bucks a month. I mm-hmm. think fifty dollars annually. Uh, supports the newsletter, which goes out multiple times a week. Now it supports the podcast. Um, we think it's a pretty, pretty good deal, especially for the amount of time we put oh into that. Oh my gosh, the, the amount enterprise. of work every week. Um, <laughs> but we love, we love doing no, we it. Love it's doing been a it. wonderful. And we love our
1: subscribers.
0: Yeah, and so, um, uh, so yeah, I really, really enjoyed this this conversation. Anything else you wanna? I mean, I don't even. I, I don't want to talk about the Buffalo Bills because <laughs> this is either going to come out Saturday, the day of the game, or Sunday yeah, after right. the game. Yeah, you're
1: right, you're right, you're I right. I don't
0: want to lean too far out over my seat. I don't want to – I'm not a superstitious person. And I don't want to jinx anything.
1: Are you just a little bit stitious?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm a little stitious.
1: <laughs>
0: um, but – I'll reiterate what I said last week, which is that I'm very nervous about losing to Bill Belichick and also me too, me too. allowing myself to just daydream a bit about what it would look like if Bill Belichick was like just super grumpy.
1: So angry in his hoodie.
0: So grumpy in his hoodie. Yes. And please. And just.
1: Sorry to all the Pats fans.
0: Just sneering as he saw all the Buffalo Bills fans just diving through tables. tables. Uh. In in mockery of him and celebration of the Bills mafia.
1: So. I don't think anybody understands. Buffalo Bills have never won a Super Bowl, and we just really want to win a Super Bowl.
0: Yes, it w- it would be nice. <laughs> what's what's you know that?
1: that?
0: It would be nice. <laughs> what's what? that? The the TikTok beam. it oh, would be. Oh, <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> it, it would be nice. <laughs>
1: How does it go? <laughs> I don't know. I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. It's one of the viral sounds. Uh.
0: It would be nice. Or it sounds like Oh, man. Well, we're maybe someone... Yeah, we'll find it. Well,
1: actually... I wish I, pe-
0: had, I, wish I had the audio mm-hmm. that I could click a button yes. and it would say it right now I like we were in a real studio. I wish I
1: had TikTok sounds just yes. on hand at ready for when different situations happen in life, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I
0: thought you were going to say during the podcast. But you just mean in <laughs> no, life, yeah, in you life. wish you walked around well, with a...
1: No, because whenever... <laughs> whenever I get into things like this, it's just like me with like lolcats like 10 years ago where it would be like <laughs> <laughs> something would happen I'd be like I've got a lolcat for that or now something happens and I'm like I know a TikTok for this
0: <laughs> I love the idea
1: I love the idea I'm that, revealing a lot today. I
0: love right? the idea that we've known each other so long that we have gone through like four <laughs> generations of you of communicating my
1: weird, <laughs> my weird some... repertoire of in my mind palace yes yeah yeah all
0: right. Well, uh, <laughs> we uh, we'll we'll wrap this episode up. Uh, as always, it's so great um, uh, so great to be able to talk with you. Um, we did want to have an episode, although I guess we did get into some some stuff that touches on politics and policy decisions. Everything's
1: political, Michael. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. Yeah, everything, um, including LOL cats.
1: LOL cats.
0: LOL cats. <laughs>
1: Okay, Girdle. <laughs> how was Girdle this
0: week?
1: Did you win Girdle?
0: Um, okay, last thing, which is we were lying. Michael's
1: actually really good at Girdle. <laughs> we,
0: were, we were lying in bed oh two God. nights ago, and I said, <laughs> I said out loud, I said, Melissa, I think I'm really good at this, like actually good at this. And Melissa was like, Michael, you've done it twice. <laughs> This is your
1: this is your <laughs> second wordle. He said it like he made a scientific discovery. <laughs> like he just ran an experiment. He's like peer reviewed, got it. <laughs> yeah, peer peer reviewed.
0: I'm pretty good at wordle. Wordle. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Hey, this has been uh where is the love? Uh the love is right here, baby. <laughs> we'll yes. talk to you. <laughs>
1: Sorry, I was swallowing.
0: I uh, was <laughs> <laughs> <Just laughs>
1: drinking my water.
0: Enjoy the top five. Enjoy the Bills, uh, win or lose, I guess. Uh, and we'll we talk- will not enjoy the Bills no, if we they will lose. Not. Okay. We'll talk to you next week.
1: Bye.